So I like to reflect from on the uh, here and now, Pachubana Tama. These are words, Pachubana is a Pali word for present. <clears throat> Adita is the past, Anakada is the future. It's about time, perceptions of time. And so I found tremendously helpful to break through the illusions that I, you know, conditioned to have around time as, as my reality. And so this is, you know, how, how to do this. So that... Uh, reflecting always on the Pachubana Dhamma, or the here and now. <clears throat> Enlightenment is here and now. Nibbana is here and now. Liberation, here and now. So that, the, it's, that when I reflect in this way, then it keeps reminding me, because the tendency, the thinking, thinking habits are all about time, future, doing something now in order to attain something in the future. So like even your best wishes to get samadhi and become enlightened and free yourself from defilements and be free from selfishness, greed, hatred and delusion and trying to purify yourself now by hoping that in the future <clears throat> you will, you know, if you work hard or practice diligently, you will be rewarded for it. I have some kind of reward, insight, enlightenment. So you can see that this is a, this is the way we think. Thinking is like this. Yesterday, uh, tomorrow is Sunday. Last year, 2005, what happened to it? Completely vanished, isn't it? The memory in the present. Uh, remember things that happened in 2005. But it's always here and now that, that memories of last year arise. Uh, next year, 2007 is uh, possibilities, isn't it? It might be hopes, uh, expectation, dread. The oil crisis might, the whole economy of the world economy might collapse. Might discover a new source of energy, even better than oil. Uh, Everything might get better or get worse. Uh, so that they, this is in the future. And the future is, is uh, you know, we relate to the future always with this. It's, it's the uncertain. The, it's not a memory. We, don't, we can't remember the future. So we project the, the possibilities of things that we remember, of having happiness in the future, 
failing in the future, everything going well in the future, everything falling apart in the future, death is in the future, separation, everything, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. This is a, one of the, of course, the reflections, the monastic reflection. <clears throat> so that in, in reflecting, contemplating this, they're bringing this into consciousness, uh, the here and now is like this. And what you know, this is a, this is a way of thinking that that uh, helps me to to notice the most obvious things that are happening that I'm experiencing here and now. Sitting for one thing, sitting here, breathing, physical sensations, mental state, mood. The emotional mood or is like this. And then to recognize that, uh, you know, to remind yourself that, you know, in terms of the reality of this moment, experience itself, each one of us is the center of the universe. So then, and this is not a megalomania, this is merely a reflection on, on the, not me as a person, but at this moment, the existential reality of sitting and being, having this, this formation, this body, sitting, breathing like this, it's a conscious form in the universe. So I can, you know, the moon is very bright, came out of my coochie this morning and there was uh, the moon uh, shining its beautiful light. Then the conventional, uh, the moon is how many, you know, miles away from planet Earth and it's way out there, very far away from me. Or the more reflective style is seeing that consciousness yeah. From this point here, from this form, this 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 uh, formation, this body, that's consciously, that's conscious of the moon through sight, through seeing it, is like this. So, and because the universe doesn't have any boundary or dimension that we, you know, that we can. Uh, relate to are in terms of experience I am the center of this universe so this when I reflect in this way it 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 reminds me of that the path is always here and now from this point and it's in it's uh, recognizing the way things are that I'm experiencing through my personal Habits, fears, desires, physical experiences, consciousness, 
my personality, the way I think, the karma, So one begins to open to the karma of this moment, of, of receiving it, rather than merely reacting to it because you may not like particular things about the way you think or the way you look or the mood you're in or the things around you or, you know, one get caught in criticizing and finding fault and, and imagining, uh, you know, the center of the universe is being the sun, maybe you know that's that's for um, this universal system that we're part of. That's how you know we're told that's the center, and that is a center in terms of you know the the external forms, but in terms of the here and now the conscious moment, the reality of this moment, this is this is a center point. So everything that that I think and feel, good, bad, right, wrong, refined, coarse, marvelous, stupid, ridiculous, whatever its quality is, it's no longer you know, it's pointless to judge it and, and, and just, you know, get caught in, in, in associating with the divisions or the qualities of, of the conditions, but in establishing oneself being this very center point, being Dhamma, here and now. Bharamatta Satcha, these are Pali words. Bharamatta is ultimate reality. Now taking this word Bharamatta Dhamma, it's not, you know, from the ego level, then it would sound ridiculous. I would sound crazy. Say, I am the ultimate reality. It's my, my personality. So this is where I keep emphasizing this, this Sakya Ditti that it really break through any illusions, any attachments you have to the conditioned sense of yourself. Not as some kind of judgment against it, but to know it. So, so it no longer deludes you. It no longer has the power to take you over and, and, and uh, operate from the delusion of I'm the body, I'm this person. So, Bharamata Dhamma is here and now. And, but don't look for it. You, you can't find it because it's not an object. It's not something that you can, you know, you can hold up or or recognize uh, as something you can see or smell or hear, taste or touch. Because uh, it's this point of consciousness in the universe, you know, this, this 
having this incarnation in this form, this human form, with it, all its uh, limitations, we're also limited by the forms that we find ourselves with. With the human body, it's very limited. <clears throat> and then we limit ourselves by attaching and identifying with the with the other kandas, with the <clears throat> body, the rupa kanda, vedana, sanya, sankara, vijnana. The five kandas by identifying. We bind ourselves to these limitations and their changingness. Because sankharas are all about limitation and about birth and death, about boundaries, forms, nama rupa. It's all about the, this kind of, this is a, the way it is. It can be big, uh, small, grand, mean, whatever. But oh, the the conditioned realm is its nature is always impermanent, and that which is aware of impermanence. So mindfulness is the ability to be aware of, of impermanence, of the changingness, of the, the body in the here and now, the way it is as experience. Not as it should be or some ideal, or, but as it is the reality of, of this moment, the physical feeling, the sensation, the pressure of sitting, the pleasure, pain, the limitation, the tensions, the stress, whatever one is experiencing through, through the body at this moment, that which is aware of it, so notice, it's like the four postures, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, is a basic objects of meditation. What do we mean by that? Because whatever is happening, we're either sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. This is about the movement of our own bodies through the day and night. So noticing, observing, sitting, is like this. Now when I say this to myself, that sitting is like this, it stops the thinking mind. I'm not trying to figure out how I should sit or whether I'm sitting well or not. or uh, But it stops me from, from thinking or wandering to suddenly just notice the reality of the experience of sitting, this body is like this at this moment. This Pachubana Dhamma, here and now, is like this. And then that which is aware of, is, is noticing, which is, knows the way it is.
if you try to grasp the concept of knowing the way it is, then you, you've missed the point. The, the, the being the knowing <clears throat> is learning to trust in this, in this simple imminent act of paying attention, mindfulness, sati-sampachanya. And so then the, the body, the experience of sitting is, I feel that, you know, brings the aware of sensations that, I, that are in the body at this moment, in the legs, pressure of sitting, contact with the, with the uh, mat I'm sitting on, the back, hands, feet, spinal column, Now we can understand this, and then we tend to think we should be aware of our postures, and 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 it becomes compulsive. You know, whatever I say, whatever words I, uh, you know, using and reflections that I'm giving, or whatever. If we grasp those, <clears throat> then it's you know it becomes a technique or a compulsion, or we start thinking about it and. And we don't see what we're doing, that we're actually grasping words or ideas that we've received from somebody else. Or our own ideas or views about practice. And this is subtle, but it's also very obvious because it couldn't be otherwise. There'd be no hope, no possibility, no way that we could ever free ourselves from suffering if we're just trying to manipulate the conditions and operate from uh, avicca, ignorance, just caught in the momentum of habit. You know, trying to resolve doubts in my mind through thinking and analysis to see what the results of your life is as a Manker and non, just by trying to solve everything through your intellect, through getting an answer, finding what what the experts say, what the the great teachers, the Kuba Ajans say, how to practice, what you know, what it says in the Pali Canon, what the Mahayanas say. The Vedanta and on and on like this. Again, you know, we, we look around and try to find uh, things to, you know, inspiring sayings or something from outside ourselves. So that's why in this retreat, uh, I keep emphasizing this, what we call establishing or I'm afraid to give it even a name because then you'll you'll make it into some kind of technique, some kind of method. So it's more just recognizing, realizing, trusting. This is it, this point here. 
here and now. When no matter what I'm feeling, or you know, on a personal level, emotionally feeling uh, peaceful or confused, happy, miserable, whatever, it's like this. If you keep referring to this, Pachubana Dhamma, here and now, it helps to stop the tendency to always get caught in the, in the, in the conventions of even our, our conventional form. We're putting the, the conventions that we're using into, you know, for helping with awareness, not, not identities. So it's, uh, you know, the danger of religious traditions or methods, techniques, all that is, is um, attachment, you know, out of, because we might, you know, we put our faith in the convention, in the inspired words of a teacher or in the scriptural teaching. So the, the sense of always out there, the teacher, the scripture, the enlightened master, the on on like this, this is this is always is is the sense of of me as a person that's not enlightened, needing the advice, needing the support from outside. From the, from tradition, from scripture, from teachers, or from just, you know, like the, the Buddha nature or the Dhamma. We can feel, we can create the illusion of Dhamma surrounds me and, and I depend on the Dhamma. But it's still coming from the sense of I am this person that, that needs to depend on something be supported. The other extreme is I don't need external support. I don't need religion, conventions. It's all rubbish. Just causes more trouble. I can get enlightened all by myself. It says so in Buddhism. Be in light unto yourself. You don't need Buddha rupas. Uh, all these kind of robes and it's all just, you know, helps create more delusions. Now that's another view of me. I don't need this, this stuff. <clears throat> so, so that, but it's still based on this, on the, on the thinking process of me, mine, I, I need I need the support. I need the tradition. I need the method. I need uh, all kinds of things. The teacher, or the other extreme. I don't need any of it. I can. I'm I'm enlightened. I realize I am enlightened. I don't need anything, anybody, God's help or anything. Now these are pointing these two extremes. Mm. Uh, but notice that they all come from the same source. 
the sense of me and mine, my opinion and view. It's all based on words, ideas and concepts, whether it's, you know, grasping the, the forms or rejecting them. It amounts to the same thing. It, you know, it, it, uh, it's the blindness, ignorance is the, is the cause. So this knowing of this, you know, I need, I don't need, I can do it by myself. I need to have an enlightened teacher. I need to practice hard. I don't believe in practicing. I think just daily awareness is good enough. And whatever, you know, whatever, you know, we, we've inclined to, the awareness of that, it's a, you learn a lot. You can really free yourself from a lot of suffering just by being uh, aware, not critical of, but aware. A kind of, it's, a, it's humbling because we have to kind of accept the way we are, the way we think, uncritically. And sometimes the way I think and feel is, brings up, you know, I don't like, personally. It's not you know, not the way I want to think or want to be like. My emotional life isn't what I want. But it is, you know, it's conditions, or oh, it operates like this. When these conditions arise and the sun is out and the mood is like this, and things get cold and damp and pain in the these and so forth, it's like this. People praise and say how wonderful I am, it's like this. People criticize me, it's like this. And this you know, ideally say, well, praise and blame are of no importance to me. <clears throat> and this is an ideal again, you know, the, I'm, I'm above praise and blame. <clears throat> Success or failure. This is another kind of way we can delude ourselves because we grasp the idea, you know. But then notice what you're really feeling, not in a critical way. So if somebody treats you badly or unfairly, you know, what if you, you get blamed for something you didn't do? That's, that's, those are the hard ones, the difficult ones to deal with. So somebody accuses you of something you didn't do and tells everybody and you feel humiliated and misunderstood and You become disillusioned with the monks and nuns because you expect us to be better than that, to understand and to be compassionate and uh, full of metta and 
and joy and happiness and love, that's the ideal. But being blamed, whether it's fairly or unfairly, is like this. And I notice when I've misunderstood or blamed, criticized unfairly, you know, I feel uh, personally, my my emotions, I get feel very hurt and offended and want to leave. You know, well. You know, I've given my life to the Sangha and worked hard and tried to do my best and and uh, and then I just get slapped in the face. No gratitude, no appreciation, just blame. Now that kind of self-pity, when I look at it, I don't like that. You know, I don't like Self-pity. I don't like that wimpiness, you know. I've worked hard and sacrificed and then, and then uh, I still, people just criticize me and blame me for things. And I, because ideally, that's not how I want to be, you know, as an ideal monk. I want to be above it. I can take it, you know, the world can shower its praise and blame on me and I will bear with it, spreading metta and karuna and mudita, no matter what happens, is the ideal. And you can say things like that, that can be very inspiring, give a talk on, and it can uplift and inspire people with, with these kind of inspiring ideas. But in the realities and the nitty-gritty of daily life, communal life, monastic life, life here in England is like this, isn't it? This is not ideal. It's not, you know, not some perfect in the sense of a, it's the best. It's the way it is, though. It's like this. See, so this is a way of opening and receiving, you know, that that which impinges on us, the, the the situation we're in, the people we're living with, as well as how it affects us or me uh, emotionally, you know, the, the way I react to it. And so that which is aware of this, of these reactions, By, by just reminding myself, what is it that's aware of feeling sorry for myself? Because I've been blamed for something I haven't done. What is it, that feeling that arises? Feeling hurt and, and disappointed. Putting a lot of faith in, in situations, in sanghas, in individuals, isn't it? 
We always feel disappointed sometimes with even best friends don't live up to, you know, to what they think, what we want them to be. Parents or partners or or friends and Dharma friends, brothers and sisters in the Dharma, all these, these kind of things. They don't always live up to what we want them to be. And we we fail too. We can't always be as loyal and good and loving and understanding as we would like to be. So what I'm trying to do this morning is point this out, the, the sense of idealizing you know how things should be if 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 you know the loyalty the goodness the the uh, the best that the, we can possibly imagine as well as its opposite but the way it is at this moment is like this and there's a, a recept receiving Noticing uncritically. So in the sense of welcoming, I've had to use this, this upaya or skillful means of welcoming because there's a lot of emotions, reactions that I experience that I don't like, I resist, don't want them. You know, spent a lifetime resisting or just trying to get rid of things or, you know, suppress them, run away from them. So the, the this sense of welcoming in uh, this here and now number, this receiving, opening, undemanding state, not opening just to the the goodness the beauty of this moment, but opening to whatever way it presents itself. You know, whatever, you know, the the pleasure, the pain, the praise, the blame, the success or failure. is like a sense of welcoming. This sense of welcome means, doesn't mean approving or Taking sides, but it, it reminds me when you say welcome, it it's it's not demanding anything. It's just a gesture of receiving whatever is happening, not resisting it or criticizing it. So try, you know, I suggest you try that. If if you're one who resists a lot or uh, into controlling and and. Uh, and it's very self-critical, and, and the more we try to control, because we're critical, we're frightened, the more refined we become, the more we're averse to coarseness or meanness or nastiness. So just trying, you know, control. The controlling is what always same trying to control a situation where you know noble silence uh, 
we, we don't we don't want to hear anything that upsets or irritates or we don't want demands made on us or blame generated towards us because if we you know if we can control a situation keep everything in a you know avoid situations uh, um, keep everything under control in a way that that we feel safe we can get very peaceful then and very tranquil like sensory deprivation if nothing if very little contacts your senses you after a while then you, you're not being that you're not getting that kind of irritation to them So you do, you get you can get very calm, get very blissful. Through through controlling everything. And but then then you get dependent on that. You become even more sensitive and resistant. You become because you you know, little things that that maybe uh, didn't bother you very much, the more sensitive you become and more refined and controlling you are, then then um, the more averse you are to anything that is, is doesn't reach that high standard. It tends to be irritating or coarse. Where with awareness, it's not... It's, you know, the refinement, the coarseness. Isn't the issue anymore because we're, our, our relationship to them is knowing them rather than, than preferring one over the other. Now in terms of seeing the path, this, the more you, oh, recognize or realize this Pachubana Dhamma here and now, this point of awareness, this is the path. And, and, and by reflecting this way, I'm not trying to convince myself, but it's just noticing because it tends to be overlooked in the momentum of habit and desire and Conditionality, one is always being whirled away into planning the future, regretting the past, worrying, uh, making plans, trying to uh, be responsible, resenting having duties that you don't want, any kind of difficulties that happen in the monastery or from around, any difficult people that neighbors or situations arise you know so the the worldly life can take us over being monks nuns in a in a monastery you know it isn't that much different really than being householders in the town if we're just you know if we're just seeing it in terms of you know personal likes and dislikes and sense of duty, responsibility, all the worldly dhammas that 
that we uh, are used to, that we've never really examined, merely operate from these habits. So in in the Sangha life here, that's why I always emphasize the priority of this awareness. This is this has to this you know, this here and now Dhamma. This is it. It's as simple as this. And this is the priority, no matter what's happening, you know, the, in terms of um, the success, failure, or the problems of monastic problems, sangha problems, social problems. Life is always about problems, isn't it? The unknown, the you don't know what's going to happen. The the future is the unknown. Remembering things from the past, you know, when problems that arose in the past, difficult scenes, regrets over the way we handled them, or blaming or resenting the fact that people didn't react properly or didn't, not the way we expected them to, and carrying grudges and resentments into the present. So then, you know, even in, in Sangha life, you know, we can we can make it into another kind of personal uh, endeavor that that you know is going to inevitably disappoint us if that's what you know we're expecting enlightenment, perfection, and happiness from the conventional form we're in. So you may not, you know, in Sangha life here, chitters, you can, you know, it's not like living in, with the mafia in New York City. You know, you can't, a certain amount of trust in that you can have here. That's high standard, moral standards. Not, you know, you know, basically where agreements are Sila, Vinaya, and that we we respect. So on the conventional level, there is a, you know a level of of uh, trust, just about behavior, trying to be honest, not tell lies, and respect each other's property. And so these are our intentions. So it's not like survival in the jungle, survival of the fittest. But still, even within Sangha life, as you all know, you can be very hurt and disappointed and and uh, upset and angry and indignant and enraged. Even when nobody's done anything that bad. They haven't stolen something or lied to us or or hit us, attacked us, or did anything ridiculously bad. They just, you know, maybe 
feelings of being misunderstood or not appreciated. We don't get the, you know, we work hard and nobody notices and nobody, and then they just blame us or say we're, 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 not, we're not good monks. After I've, you know, worked very hard and then somebody says, well, he's not a very good monk. That's not fair. You know, I could feel quite indignant personally over, and I have in the past. But then in, in, when we reflect on the eight worldly dhammas, then that life is like this. The conditioned realm is like this. It's not perfect. It's not meant to be. And trying to, Demand perfection from the imperfect is futile. You're bound for disappointment and disillusionment. So, it's, you know, this is recognizing that the world is like this. And and we each each one of us is is having to learn from the way we are. We can't we can't be maybe what you want want us to be. We might even like to be the ideal that you want us to be. But the way the way it is, say is is what we, what is is the path the way it is so even in the mood of self pity or or anger or jealousy or uh, meanness of heart bitchiness nastiness is like this so when these moods uh, arise You know, our relationship to them is knowing they are, they're dhamma, then the, what arises ceases. The pace and karanicha. We have, have seen things clearly, of noticing the way they are rather than, than, uh, analyzing them in, you know, in terms of reacting to their quality. Good, bad, intelligent, stupid, whatever. All conditions are impermanent. So this, this sapay cha, you know, it makes it easy. It puts everything into that one category of impermanence. Everything. Coarse or refined, good, bad, right, wrong. Intelligent, stupid, The whole lot, all anything you can think of, any thought in your mind, any memory, any in a, anything that you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel. The pace cha. So this this reminding is just you know the, the changingness. When I look at even a, a bad mood that arises, when I really observe it and receive it, welcome it and observe it, it, it has a, it, it definitely a changing experience. 
it only seems permanent when you when you grasp when you react to it out of ignorance and grasp it and then you then you then you create this sense of i'm really angry and i'll never forgive you and i'm disappointed you know i expected monks and nuns to you know at least uh, be better than this you know i'm looking in the world for a place where people we can really trust honorable moral, dependable, trustworthy, intelligent, and refined people. I came here looking for this, and what I see, I can only feel disappointed. And of course this is, when you really look at this, this is arrogance, isn't it? You know, when one is refined and attached to refinement and high-minded thoughts, one can really be incredibly conceited and arrogant. What does the arrogance feel like? You know, like when I think that I'm better, you know, I'm superior than than somebody else. You know, my view is right. I'm right. And by looking at this, you know, you have to be willing to experience conceit and arrogance. What does it feel like to feel superior to somebody else? You know, so by inquiring and asking that kind of question, I, I just noticed uh, that this this uh, this arrogant, what what I might call arrogance, is, uh, is it is what it is. But that which is aware of this, I'm better than you are. Arrogance comes and goes, doesn't it? Sense of superior or being inferior comes and goes. But that which knows is is the constant in any situation, awareness. Whatever you're feeling, you can't, you know, you can't change it, so you can't expect to feel the same way all the time. But awareness of the feeling, this is your refuge. This is the liberation and freedom from the limitation of your emotional habits. And this way, reflecting in this also helps me to accept you the way you are. <clears throat> Many of my mistakes in the past have been thinking that that uh, members of the Sangha should be something else, should change, and be, you know, they shouldn't be the way they are. I don't particularly like the way they they are right now. I think they shouldn't be like that. They shouldn't be. That monk shouldn't be arrogant. That monk's really arrogant. You know, really thinks he's knows it all and is and is so full of opinions, conceits. He shouldn't be like that. Because a a, a proper monk is isn't that way. And according to the ideal bhikkhu. 
And I'm right, aren't I, in terms of the ideas, you know, a good bhikkhu is not arrogant and all that. That's but then this uh, tendency to think that, you know, to, uh, to hold that, to see always that particular monk in terms of he's arrogant and conceited and he shouldn't be like that and he should change, he should become humble. When I look at this, you know, the, my, my criticism of somebody else, my, you know, is, it's still my arrogance, isn't it? I'm saying, I don't like you the way you are and you should change because, in a way that I think you should change. I know how you should be, you should do what I say and be, because what I want you to be is really the best. You know, humble and good and kind and not conceited. Easily satisfied. <laughs> I'm right. <clears throat> but notice that this is all just, uh, you know, me with my ideas about you. And so it's you know it's a then then you you know you feel this that somehow Ajahn Sumato doesn't approve of you or doesn't like you or or that you're not or you might feel that you're not a very good monk or a very good nun you're not not really up to scratch. Not like some of the others. You know, you look at, you know, you get into these competitiveness practices where, you know, that's a really good meditator. He sits still for hours. And and he doesn't, uh, you know, he only eats very little. He doesn't take too much food. He doesn't have anything left in his alms bowl. He's very strict, keeps every rule of the vinaya strictly, and he sits for hours, practices diligently, doesn't doesn't go around chit-chatting about silly things. And so you, that's 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 really a good monk, that one. And me, I'm all over the place. I'm not a very good monk. So this is, you know, this looking at somebody else and uh, forming ideas of how things a good, what a good monk is. Now this is, you know, and talking about good monks and bad monks and mediocre and all that. These, are, this is about conditions, about qualities in the world. And what I'm pointing to is, is, is a transcendent reality, the paramatta, that we recognize through awareness, which is non-critical.
But it's discerning. It's not blind or, you know, stupid or doesn't notice. But it, it doesn't create problems around the way it is. So there's this, this kind of acceptance and, uh, which, which is where the Brahma-viharas come into effect, isn't it? Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. Come from this Barmata level, you know, responding to particular situations, individuals in the present. Like metta practice itself is is non-critical. You know, so in the sangha, you spread metta to the really good monks and nuns. Maybe ninety-five percent of your metta for them, and then five percent for those monks and nuns that aren't very good. I mean, that's conceited, isn't it? To me, that that's conceit. I know who's good and who isn't, and, and my metta is, I want to use most of my metta for the ones I approve of. And I'm going to punish the ones that I don't like by only giving them 5%. And you, when you spell it out like that, thinking out, you realize how silly it, or how silly one can be, and how arrogant or conceited. Remember, you know, thinking of, in my experience, in Thailand, where, where, uh, you know, I've, I've said this before, but it's pointing to when you're with a teacher like Ajahn Chah, and you admire and respect. So bowing to Ajahn Chah was never a problem. I like to bow and pay respect to my teacher because he's a wise teacher and I really, you know, loved him and, and respected him. No problem. Doing little chores for him, doing things, even washing his false teeth, things like this. You know, it was a kind of an honor. But then then I spent two years at a branch monastery with with a head monk I didn't like, didn't approve of. <clears throat> I thought he wasn't, he was, didn't live up to Ajahn Chah's standard. He wasn't worthy of my respect. Now Ajahn Chah was worthy of my respect. Now my respect, I don't give to just anyone, you know. You have to be really worthy, you have to prove you're worthy of me, of, of my respect. So I'll, you know, I could respect Puddhattasa Bhikkhu, no problem. Lumpacha, no problem, you know. It gave me delight to humble myself in their presence. But this other monk, <laughs> you know, I'm better than he is. And even though I'm not, you know, I'm a junior monk at the time, I'm, I felt definitely that I was a kind of superior human being. And I didn't want him to think that, that, you know, I respected him. So I, you know, because I, I, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be respected. So there's a kind of logic there, but it's all coming from what this ignorance of conceit of a self.
I really, when I really thought it out, when I think, you know, I feel I'm superior to this monk. You know, I'm, I'm serious. He doesn't, you know, he's, he says things that, you know, I don't really like to listen to and he doesn't act in a way that, that I feel comfortable with, I can, you know, admire. And so then, you know, I have grounds for disrespecting him or ignoring him. And I look at this like a way of punishing people, a kind of meanness of heart, you know, in myself, of wanting to punish them by not speaking to them. I think that's really going to punish them, isn't it? If I'm not, if I don't speak to you, you really, that's going to ruin your day. So this is, <laughs> when you, you know, thinking it out, listening to, you know, I really listen to my own conceit. And I deliberately brought it to absurdity, you know, to where, you know, to, to not, not trying to, to, um, even be polite about it, but taking it to its most absurd form, you know. And then you realize what it is, the sense of me and what I think and what I want and I approve of and disapprove of and and uh, how a good sangha should be, what a good monastery is, what a good monk should be and a good nun and good lay people and And, uh, and, you know, this is where one is right, because on the, that level of conditionality, good is obviously better than bad, isn't it? Just, re- you know, that's obvious. Bad is not going to be better <laughs> than good. But notice that this is all about thinking and division, qualities. Good is a quality of a condition. Bad is a quality of a condition. Refinement is a quality, coarseness. A sense of me as a person, as a condition, is a quality. I'm separate from you. I'm this person here, this body here, and I'm separate. There's a quality of separateness that is part of this sankhara, the, the nature of sankhara, conditioned phenomena. So then the only possible way to not be trapped in the sankhara or the sankharas is through awareness. Sati Sampachanya. So that's getting to that point again of Pachubanatama. This is, this is about here and now, attentiveness, listening to the way it is, not to the, what I think and feel, but what thinking, feeling now is, it's like this. Thinking 
I'm better than somebody else is like this. Ideally, I think, oh, I th we're all equal. And we're all equal. We're all brothers and sisters in the Dhamma. This is ideal. Then on the level, I'm better than you are. You know, ideally, I don't like to think like that. Ideally, I'm, I, I want to accept people for the way they are and, and see them as equal, see us all as the same, as equal. But then in the realities of experience, these, these conceits and arrogance and that arise. You shouldn't think the way you think. You shouldn't be the way you are. I know how you should be. Or applying that to oneself. I shouldn't be conceited. I'm a bad monk because I am conceited. Or when there's conceit, the recognition, conceit, I'm better than you are is like this. Now this, this is a reflective practice. So it's noticing it, this sense of superiority of me and you, me being above you or better, or I'm not as good. Like I said one time, is memories of this friend of years ago, good friend of mine when I was in my early twenties. I always felt he was better than I. So even the memory arises of that person. I haven't seen this person for 50 years. But just the memory of that person, I just noticed that that, that, that memory, I can still remember him when he was 20. And the, and the feeling of you know, the feeling still arises of, you know, he, and that's just the way it is, isn't it? That's, that's observing. It's not, I'm not saying anything wrong with it, but just noticing how memory is as experience. <clears throat> feeling of not being good enough is like this. Or being not as good as somebody else is like this. And then you're looking at it, because when you do that, and, and I'm looking at not, not, not through judging, analyzing, or from the thinking mind anymore, but through awareness. It is, it certainly has a, it has a, a kind of quality to it, but you can't sustain it if you don't think about it or cling to it. It is what it is. So this is a, you know, in, in the Sangha life here, you know, see that opportunity here and living in, in communal life like this. You know, you, you can learn from it. It's because uh, it will bring up these these kind of these human conditions, our likes, our dislikes, our prejudices, our arrogance, our feelings of inferiority, our fear of failure, our resentments, worries, 
loves, hates, Sangha life, all these things are part of the, the life of a monastic. It's not we, we're bypassing or getting out of that. But the point is, is that it's for reflection, for understanding, so that these illusions that we have, you know, we're, we're breaking through those illusions, the false world, the momentum of habit, through understanding and reflecting, not through trying to, to get rid of them or make myself into something, you know, to fit to some high standard, an ideal that I like. So you, you, then you become more content in being who you are. You know, you, you, you're not looking at somebody else and thinking, I, I wish I were like him or her because they seem so much more together or more wise or centered and they don't have all the emotional problems. They seem to be calm and serene by nature. It should be like that. But, But then we, this is what I have to learn from, the way I am, the way my emotions work and memories that, that come and go and habits are like this. So then it is a welcoming, isn't it? It sends up, everything's teaching me. Everything that comes and goes is teaching me about the nature of sankara. And so then the sense of gratitude, uh, joy come into to consciousness because your your life is one of you know you're willing to learn from the way life is. You're no longer demanding yourself or the world to be something that that you conceive of, but it can never be. 